we are continuing our series called The Way to Shalom. The Way to Shalom. And the premise of this series is that we are seeking to discover and practice the wholeness that God offers us in this life. This word shalom is a Hebrew word um, that means wholeness or peace or welfare, well-being. And when we talk about peace, it's not just the absence of strife or conflict. It's about how we are well within every aspect of our lives, how God desires for us to have wholeness in every aspect and every part of our lives. Today, I want to talk about setting limits as a way um, for us to get to the shalom. And I want to approach this from two sides today. I want to approach this from a personal, individual side, but also from a corporate side, a corporate responsibility that we have as the people of God. So I want to jump right into my text for today, Exodus chapter 20, beginning of verse 8. Reads, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. You may have heard these words um, because it's a part of the Ten Commandments. If you've grown up in church and you've heard it in Sunday school and heard it preached about, this is one of those Ten Commandments. But before we move on, I want to really go back and show you how the Ten Commandments really opens. All right. The Ten Commandments opens like this, Exodus 20, verses 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I think we blow past that when we read the Ten Commandments, because it's, it's kind of like a preamble, like, okay, yeah, let's get to the meat and potatoes, right? But look at how God instructs Moses at the beginning of this text. Acknowledging who God is and what God does for God's people. I am the one who brought you out of slavery. And what's interesting about this is that it's, it's a reminder at the top of the commandments that the God you are now serving is not like the gods of your former place. The God that you are serving is not the God of slavery. It is the God of freedom. Right? And I love reading this passage because a lot of times we think that... Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like the, the whole Bible is written like in order, like in sequential order. But these, this text here was written while the people were in slavery in Babylon. So there's this double layer here. They're, they're writing the story down because they say to themselves, you know what? We are in captivity with the Babylonians and we might lose who we are as a people. So we got to sit down and write all of these oral traditions down before the next generation doesn't have it. Right. And so while they're in captivity, they're writing all of these things down. The scribes are narrating the story. And so within the context of slavery, they are recalling a moment when God brought them out of slavery from Exodus, right, from, from Egypt. 
And so there's this double layer here, and this is really important picture that the writers are painting, is that God is a God of liberation. God is a God of freedom. And God desires for all of God's children to not be machines, but to be his beloved creation. So what is Sabbath? It's this big command that God gives. Sabbath is, translates from Hebrew word Shabbat. And the word Shabbat means to cease or to stop, right? So to do nothing. And the Jewish idea of Shabbat is still really in practice today. If you live in a predominantly, uh, or a place that has um, a, a large Jewish community, if you go to a building that has an elevator, you would see on the Sabbath day, which would be Friday evening to Saturday evening, all the buttons are pressed. Why? Because if you press a button, in, in tradition, it is considered to be work, right? So pressing a button produces electricity that causes something to move and that you shouldn't do work on the Sabbath, right? If, if Jews are at home, they don't really do a lot of cooking. Most of them don't do cooking on the Sabbath because, again, it is producing something. The whole idea is that God calls us to cease all work and to reflect on the goodness of God and to celebrate life with one another. Now, some people may take that in a very legalistic sense, right? And we see this happening in the Gospels where um, some leaders come to Jesus and say, why are your disciples healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus say, hold on, like, don't lose sight here. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of humankind, not the other way around, right? And so the point is, is that even though work is necessary, work is valuable, work is important, it should not define our lives. We are not bound by the work that we do. So looking at this personal aspect of rest, let's start there. I think we have a lot of excuses why we feel like we can't rest, right? First one I think about is we might say, I feel guilty for not being occupied. I have to be productive. My mother says to this day, I got a million things to do, so move out of my way, right? Like, Anytime she feel under pressure, she's like, I got a million things to do, leave me alone. I was born on a Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. I'm pretty sure she told the doctors, hurry up, I got things to do, I got a million things to do. She's not a person, and I kind of get a little bit of that from her sometimes, where you have to feel occupied, right? Like if you're not feeling like you're a productive part of society if you're not doing something. The second thing I think about is, I don't want people to think that I'm lazy, right? I don't want people to think I just sit in here and ain't doing nothing. And what we end up doing is we try to prove something to people, right? We end up trying to prove our worth to others. The last one I think about is I don't even have time to rest, right? I don't even have time for rest. The rapper Nas once said in one of his songs, New York State of Mind, I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. And a lot of people take that to heart. I can sleep when I'm dead, right? We run ourselves into the ground thinking that it's all about producing, 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 getting stuff done, but not really stopping to take a breath and examine where we are. Rest is not running away from responsibilities, friends. It's reaching for restoration. And, and if we don't take these moments to find ourselves in solitude and rest, from the work that we do, we're not gonna be sustainable throughout the rest of our lives. Gas prices high, ain't they? 
I mean, I saw somewhere where gas was like seven something, right? Gas is very expensive, and I think what that causes a lot of us to do, um, I'm putting myself in this, is I might fill up, right? And then I drive it all the way down to E, try to get every mile out of that tank, right, before I have to spend another dollar on gas, right? What I found interesting a couple years ago, and I, I kind of used this example in a previous message, but I found out that that's actually a bad practice to run your car on E. Apparently, when you run your car on E, it causes your fuel system to just suck air from out of the tank. It's not getting any good fuel to get into your fuel system. And so over time, your fuel system starts to burn out. Your fuel pump starts to burn out. And mechanics say that it costs about $1,500 to $2,000 to replace it, right? When you could have just put $20 gas in your car, right? Which today it don't go too much, but still. I think about that in the context of our lives that we run on E, that we burn ourselves out, and then we wonder why we have to pay such a price for it later. When all we needed to do was stop, refuel, recharge ourselves, and keep going on the journey. All right. So how do we find these rhythms of Sabbath? I think in three quick ways. First of all, examine the patterns of your life. We need to stop and take, take an assessment of where we are in our lives. What are the ways in which I allow my life to get out of control time-wise? Where I'm not watching the clock, I'm not taking my lunch breaks. I'm not stopping to go outside and get some fresh air, right? Examine the patterns and just call it for what it is. The next thing I think we can do is to just take those small moments of Sabbath. We live in a world where it's really hard sometimes to get a full day off for worship. Some people have to work right through these long hours, sometimes seven days a week. But what are the small moments of Sabbath that you can enjoy with God? The five or ten minutes that you can just sit in your car, nobody knows where you are, you can just disappear for a quick minute and catch yourself. And over time, those moments add up to beautiful moments with God, to refreshing your soul, your mind, and your spirit. Finally, I think we ought to engage in the things that restore us. I think about this in my own life. I've let go of hobbies and things that really brought me joy as the more and more I've grown into adulthood. And we lose that childlike sense of wonder, of just doing the things that bring us joy, using the gifts that God has given us to bring beauty and meaning and life to the world. Theologian Walter Brueggemann he said this in his book, Sabbath as Resistance. Sabbath is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement, rather than production and consumption, defines our lives. I'll read that again. Sabbath is a practical divestment so that neighborly engagement, rather than production and consumption, defines our lives. What, what Brueggemann is saying is, if we let go of the ways in which we define our lives by how much we produce, and we focus on how much our relationships matter with one another and in the Christian context with God, we'll start to see transformation in our lives. But we have to divest, take away the time and the energy that we put into trying to prove our worth by working and rest and stop for a moment and realize that God is good. 
Now, I'm going to pivot to the least popular part of my message. <laughs> I talked about the personal side of Sabbath, right? Now I want to talk about the systemic part, the corporate part that we have to play as a body, as a people. You know, we preach a lot about issues um, without addressing the real causes of people's pain. Sometimes people do that. We preach about issues and we, we don't really address the systemic problems that we have. And I think preaching hope without acknowledging the systemic breakdowns and the problems is just like gaslighting people. It's making them think that they're crazy. So the question that I kind of pondered on as I was writing this message is, who will preach about Sabbath and rest, not to the people of God, but to Babylon? Who will preach about Sabbath and rest in the face of Egypt, right? The ones who are oppressing, the ones who are saying, you can't have rest. Before there was a command in the Ten Commandments to rest, there was a challenge to the powerful to let God's people go. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. God commands Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and to challenge him to let God's people out of slavery. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say, then, uh, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and his sorcerers and the Egyptian music, uh, magicians also they did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. Yet, this is the important part, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. If you know the story of Exodus from Egypt, you know that Pharaoh had every sign to turn back and to say, you know what? Let me let God's people go. This, I don't want no more smoke with their God, right? Let me let these people into freedom so I could have some peace in my own land. But he had every sign and refused until the last one cost him something. The last plague, as, as we know the, the story of the plagues, the last one was about losing the firstborn, even of the animals. And it cost Pharaoh something because it cost him the future of his kingdom. And that was the only reason that he had a moment where he thought to himself, you know what, let me let these people go. I wonder for us today what it would look like to stand in the face of powers, of corporations, of companies, right? That really only care about their bottom line. Can I be honest with you today? Again, this is going to be very unpopular. It's going to chafe us a bit, but stick with me here. This past weekend, didn't we just celebrate a whole celebration of the rights of workers and Labor Day, right? And the dignity of people when they work? Even think about our neighbors to the north. One of the biggest companies in the world, trillion dollar company, Amazon, never had a union. This young man, young black man named Chris Smalls, rose up and he said, no, 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 no. I've been a manager and I've seen how people had to urinate in bottles because the bathrooms are too far from their production line. And it's been said that the CEOs and those at, at the top of the organization have said that he was unintelligent and inarticulate and would not be able to start a union and yet he's galvanizing the entire workforce. Who will speak a word against 
Babylon? Who will speak a word against Egypt? This ain't about being political, by the way, right? But it might feel that way because establishing the kingdom of God here on this earth is going to rub us the wrong way. It's going to push us to do things differently than the way that this world does it. And so what should our response be as people who have influence or maybe there are some of us in here today who own businesses or who are managing directors or whatever sphere of influence you have where you have the opportunity to give rest, what do we, what do, we do in response? Remember that story, um, some of you may be familiar with it, where Paul and Silas are in jail and the jail cell is rocking, right? And, and the jail opens as an earthquake and all the prisoners are set free and we're like, yes, look at the power of God. Do you remember why they were in jail in the first place? No, okay, I'll tell you. So they got there because they disrupted a system of exploitation. Let's look at this, Acts chapter 16, verses 19 to 21. When, uh, let, me, let me just back up a little bit and give you some context. So Paul and Silas were going through the town and this, the scripture says that this young girl with a spirit of divination or she could pretty much fortune tell, right? Um, she is saying out loud to everybody, these men are men of the most high God. And the scripture goes on to say that um, Paul and Silas got annoyed. And so they cast out this spirit of divination within this woman. Now people kind of stick on the point that there was something cast out of this woman but let's read on to what actually begins to happen in the story. So they cast a demon out of this young girl. And it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating for customs unlawful for us Romans to practice or accept. That's why they were thrown in jail. The men that owned that young girl realized that their money-making machine was gone. Who was going to speak a word against Babylon for rest for the people of God? Setting limits in our personal lives is important, but it's going to cost us. For us personally, it's going to cost us by saying that I'm not strong enough to do all that I said that I could do. Maybe I don't have this all figured out, so I need to step back, take a beat, rest, catch myself, try again. But pushing back on the exploitation of this world will also cost us. It, it might cost us a few dollars. It might pinch our pockets for a second. It might impact us in some other way that maybe we didn't anticipate. Now, when I was a camps director, we had these two periods of time during the summer um, to that week um, camp. One was for the leaders, one was for everybody. For the leaders, we would have something called spirit check. And we would just gather half of the adult leaders in the worship space and just check in with them and say, let's just take 30, 45 minutes to check in with you. You don't have to be watching nobody's kids right now. You don't have to be leading any group activities. Just sit here and chill out. Even if you just wanna drink water, eat some snacks, take a minute. Let us know how you're doing. And we did that every day and every leader had an opportunity at least twice or three times to have that opportunity to rest. For the whole camp, we had something called BOB time or Bob time, body on bunk. You don't have to go to sleep, but you gotta be on your bunk. 
right? You don't have to do anything in particular, but just stop for a second. The sun is hot. You smell bad. Just take a second. (laughs) Take a beat. Rest for a moment, right? And, And we had to emulate that as the deans of the camp as well, that nobody could find us during that time unless it was an emergency. As leaders, we have, and people with influence, not just leaders, but like if we have influence with a group of people, we ought to give people the space to rest. Our demonstration of this rest gives people permission to care for themselves when the world tells them that they need to spit out more, do more. And that's why I think gathering for worship is so important as I begin to close. Um, this is not just about singing songs and hearing somebody talk for a couple of minutes so that we could feel good about ourselves. When we gather as a people of God for worship, um, we gather as a people who are trying to free ourselves from the ways of this world. We are coming to establish a new rhythm, right? To set a limit on how much the world has control of our bodies, our minds, and our souls. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 to 3, last verse for the day. God created all that there was, and it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If God could do it, we need to do it. The kingdom of God, friends, again, is this establishing of the way of God here on this earth, making this earth look a little bit more like heaven. This rhythm is going to disrupt the selfishness and the noise and the discord that we experience on a day-to-day basis from trying to produce too much. When this voice of this life tells us to speed it up, the voice of God pierces through and is beckoning us to peace, to shalom, And when we fail to observe Sabbath, friends, we neglect to see just how beloved we are by God. That we're not able to affirm what we can contribute to the world because of what God has placed inside of us. And finally, I want you to remember that no amount of work that you do can make God love you any more or any less. You are simply loved because you are created in God's image. And Sabbath gives us this opportunity to remember that. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for this moment where we get to stop. We get to pause. And we get to reflect on your goodness. We take this moment of shalom, of rest, of peace to say thank you. Thank you for every good gift that you have given us. Thank you for all the blessings that you place in our lives, even when we forget to acknowledge them, even when we don't even see them. God, as we go through this next week and throughout the rest of our days, may we remember that you created us as beautiful And that that beauty ought not to be destroyed by trying to prove something to the world, prove something to others, prove our worth, for it is already established in you. May we take moments of rest and Sabbath this week, but may we also call it out in the ways that our world exploits others. 
For in doing so, God, we call to mind the belovedness when you looked over all of creation and you even looked at humanity and said, it is good. As we come to this table, O oh God, we ask that you would help us to repent of our sins, repent of the ways in which we have failed to seek peace, the ways in which we have failed to seek rest for our weary souls. And as we approach this table, let nothing stop us from receiving the shalom that you have available for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 